Hey, it's Cam. Welcome back to This Might Be Helpful, where we explore the convergence between ancient philosophy, modern science, and cultural spirituality in an effort to create something tangible, something actionable, something integrative. Tools that we can use to navigate and make sense of and assimilate into the world around us. And as always, I am very grateful for your presence here. I hope that you can take something away from today's podcast. Something that's helpful, truly. Maybe even something you can share at a dinner party. Depends. I'm not sure who you hang out with. They might not be interested in this at all. So today we're going to be exploring some concepts from the Tao Te Ching. So Taoism, the ancient philosophy born out of Lao Tzu's interpretations of the world. And it is one of the philosophies that just makes the most sense. Same thing goes with Stoicism. These are highly integrative. They're not as ineffable as some of the philosophies we might come across. And that's what I want to take away, first of all, is that I've said this before. Philosophy is not just a pretty quote written in cursive, put on a picture of a mountain and dropped in an Instagram feed. It's something to embody, something to assimilate into your being, something that you can really use in moments of frustration, confusion, heartbreak, grief. It's something that we can use as a guiding framework. Now, I don't subscribe to any particular religion, culture, or philosophy. I, I cherry-pick. It is the nature of our world today that we can cherry-pick, and we are gifted with an abundance of information at our fingertips. So it is about cherry-picking. I think that it's okay to glean value and insight and support from whatever avenue resonates with you at that given time. Some you'll hold more closely than others, but we can draw very tangible lessons from every single religion, every culture, every form of philosophy, and we can become well-rounded individuals, and part of that is just having an open mind. If you can practice receptivity in its purest form, removing your bias from the situation so that you can just engage. Do with the information what you will, but allow it to come in first. See how it might apply to your life. And as we go through these discussions and all the discussions to follow, I would like you to draw these concepts back into your own life. See how they fit in. See how they relate to you because personal relevancy is what makes these things stick. If it's not personally relevant, it's not personally interesting, is it? Or useful. And this is supposed to be a helpful podcast. So with that being said, let's dive in. Today we're going to be pulling some concepts from the New English translation of the Tao Te Ching by Stephen Mitchell. You can read this for free. There are some links in my bio in the description of this episode. And I, I suggest that you do read it. It's very difficult to do a summary of the Tao justice, especially in a, in a short podcast, and especially when you are very much still learning the ropes. I am not trying to portray myself as an expert in these things. It's very much the opposite. It's why I enjoy to look at them and talk about them and read, because I really am so new to this. And while I'll have my interpretations and my insights from these concepts, you'll have your own. And you can do that by reading. So today I'll read for you, but you should definitely be reading for yourself as well. So today we're going to be talking about 
one of the main concepts that I picked up on within this book, which is desire, non-desire, removing all expectations and stopping the seeking, the seeking of knowledge, the seeking of certainty to realize the mystery of life and be at peace in the present. So removing all expectations and stop seeking to realize the mystery of life and be at peace in the present. Now the passages that I'm going to pull from this book have been numbered with their chapter so that you can go back and read for yourself and see what surrounds it. What I'm going to try and do here is take some of these isolated excerpts and paint a picture around it, create the landscape, the thought landscape that allows us to categorize things and, and make sense of them. So chapter one, free from desire, you realize the mystery. Caught in desire, you see only the manifestations. So the ego and its job in acting as a gatekeeper between external stimuli and internal response, it tends to focus the aperture of our attention and our focus. And like a cart horse with its blinders on, it tends to see only what's in front of it. Now, you can see how that might be a challenge. If you only see what's in front of you, then you're not seeing very much at all. If you're only looking with your eyes, then you're not truly tapping into your vision. So when we have a desire, it keeps us pinned in the external world. It keeps us pinned in a state of lack. Because as Naval Ravikant says, desire is a contract we make with ourselves that we will not be happy until we achieve that thing or get that thing. So when we have a strong enough desire, we're never going to be in the present. And this isn't to say that desires are bad. We all have them and it's healthy. It's what keeps the human race moving forwards. But it's very important to be deliberate and conscious about what your desires are. If you Look back and think about what you want right now, what you don't have, what you might be working towards, saving towards, or yearning, yearning for. How many of those things have been deliberate? Deliberate in the sense that this has come to you as something that is truly a benefit to your life, something that you want to work towards. Is your desire stemming from intention or is it stemming from a place of lack? Because we can desire an intention, and that's almost the best kind of desire. If your desire is to help and your intention is to help, those two can converge, and that's where purpose might come into play. But if your desire is to acquire the most recent thing to replace the outdated version of its previous self, then we, we get stuck in, in the hamster wheel. Carrot and the stick. And so if we can narrow the spectrum of desire to something that is grounded in our intention, then we can act daily in accordance with that desire and make a difference to not only our own lives and our own selves, but the lives of the people around us. Because when you see somebody that is acting in accordance with their desire and their intention and maybe their purpose, it's infectious. It's, it's exhilarating. I've spoken about this before, how passion is contagious. You can meet, a, meet an older lady who just loves making beeswax candles. And she speaks about it with 
kind of passion she puts into her work, you walk away and you go, is it, do I love making beeswax candles now? Is that my new hyperfixation? Or is it just the passion, the energy, the frequency, the vibration that this person is emanating? You resonate with that. Desire trains our focus to rest on the external. And the external is a manifestation of the mystery of the Tao, but it is not the Tao because if you are focusing on any one thing, then you exclude most of everything. As, at least that's what, that's what I'm gleaning from this. Now, chapter 15, the master doesn't seek fulfillment. Not seeking, not expecting, she is present and can welcome all things. So tying back into that desire, if you are fully engaged with everything that the present moment has to offer, there is nothing to desire because everything exists in this present moment. Always has, always will. It all exists within the now. And if you are being pulled into a predictable future or a desired future based upon the cravings, the yearnings, the attachment to your soul that's drag dragging you forwards, then you do miss out on the infinite abundance that this moment has to offer. And this isn't to say that we should sit back and accept everything as it is and not make any strides forwards. We have to. We should. But... When you are acting out of desire and not out of embodiment, you are trying to replenish a, a leaky well, a leaky vase. You'll keep filling it up, but there's a leak. It's, it's going to come out. This is the hedonic treadmill of life. We seek something. We desire something. We attain that thing. It provides a form of happiness and satisfaction and enjoyment. But we can't stay at that level. We cannot stay at that peak of happiness. We must always return to the baseline. And so, if we can come to desire that which exists at our baseline, then the baseline becomes a much better place to be. And all that is occurring does so within the space that is you, and you are the space in which it all occurs. And if your desire is attaching you to something that is not occurring within your space, then all that is occurring within your space is the feeling that exists in the deficit of, in the deficit of your desire. And true presence is, is the acceptance of all. And with the acceptance of all, we find greatest fluidity. And with fluidity comes adaptability in its truest form. Water flowing doesn't desire. It doesn't get snagged on the branches, on the banks of its rivers. It keeps flowing. Desire becomes attached to it, maybe things get pulled in from the banks into the river, but the river doesn't worry about going back upstream. The river doesn't diverge from its course to attain something not within its nature. The master doesn't seek fulfillment, not seeking, not expecting. She is present and can welcome all things. Chapter 37. When there is no desire, all things are at peace. So back to Naval Ravikant. Desire is a contract that we make with ourselves that we will not be happy until we get or achieve that thing. Then we will not be at peace. If we can learn to desire that which we already have, that which we already are, and always will be, we will be at peace. And I've spoken about peace before 
it's not something that arises out of a perfectly structured life. Because peace is something that you develop the capacity to create and slip into, like a flow state. A mind at peace is one that is engaged in the moment, not living in the familiar past, not projecting itself into the predictable future. The present mind is the peaceful mind, and that peaceful mind can arise within chaos, which is helpful because we live in perpetual chaos. That is what the universe is. The universe is the perpetuation of chaos, the ever-unfolding change. There is nothing static in the universe. And paradoxically, by practicing stillness, by practicing meditation and presence, we actually tap into this perpetual flow of the universe. It's almost like a, a tiger laying in wait, practicing complete stillness. It's fully engaged in that moment, and through that stillness it gains its, its greatest power, its greatest advantage. In a world that's caught up in excitement and chaos, it embodies that chaos and turns it into stillness. So, when there is no desire, all things are at peace. If we can surrender to the way things are, perfectly imperfect, a state of flux ever-changing, if we can surrender to that, be at one with the chaos, then we serve to benefit from volatility, benefit from uncertainty, benefit from change, benefit from all that we are, because we can be volatile. We all know that. Volatility is part of our nature. There are days when no matter what you do, what foods you eat, what medicines you take, what behaviors you engage in, what exercise you do. There are days where, despite all of those protective factors, we are volatile. Our thoughts are volatile. Our emotions are volatile. And I wonder how much of that volatility comes from fighting our volatility. If we can surrender to that perfect imperfectness, we can surrender to the way of being and the flux that comes with being sentient and being organic and biological. There are rhythms and chemicals that are, in some cases, out of our direct control. We cannot modulate everything and we cannot rationalize and, and apply logic to every feeling that we experience, but we do. We wonder why we feel like this when we've done everything right. Why do I feel like this when I've done everything right? It's, it's a difficult feeling to reconcile. And the way that we reconcile it is by not reconciling it, just surrendering to it. I feel like this. This is how I'm feeling. This is a, an incarnation that is occurring within the incarnation that is me. I am it. If we can surrender to that, and not fight it and add our own layer of suffering on top of it by applying more emotional capital where no investment is needed, then we don't get snagged on things. Snagged on things. Like you only snag your shirt on the door handle when you are late for work. And it only serves to frustrate you more. Can we just slow down for a moment? Accept that we're running late. Accept that it's okay. The world will go on. And if we can stop for a moment and bring that 
seven on the emotional Richter scale, back down to a, to a four or five. Practice some deep breathing, practice some acceptance, surrendering. Then we won't snag our shirt on the door, and we won't snag our emotions on the experiences and trials and tribulations that are bound to occur during our day. Because if you leave the house for work in the morning and you're already at a seven, then you are inflamed. Your system has now become a very nervous system. So when there is no desire, all things are at peace. Stop desiring to be on time right now because you're not. And desiring things to be different than what they are only adds more suffering. So if you are late, you are late. Okay. Make better decisions tomorrow if you can, but don't beat yourself up about something that has already happened. Because a lot of the talk of desire that I've placed on here has been desiring of things in the external, things that you acquire and receive. But the desire to have things different than what they are now, to have a, an outcome that is different than the manifestation of the decisions that you made prior, that is a, an unnecessary form of suffering. We can either get caught up in regret and melancholy, lamenting our prior self's decisions, or we can take that information and make better decisions. So the goal here is to do the best you can with what you got, and then when you know better, you can do better. Don't be so hard on yourself. Be reflective and be critical. But beyond that, if you have taken the lesson from the event, from the experience, then take that lesson into your future decisions. Now, Chapter 55 the master's power is like this. He lets all things come and go effortlessly, without desire. He never expects results. Thus, he is never disappointed. He is never disappointed. Thus, his spirit never grows old. Act with intention. Remove expectation. Act with intention. Remove expectation. So expectation, we have a lot of subconscious expectations. And these are different from standards. You can have standards about your life, standards about your, your work, what you create, who you spend time with, how people should interact with you. Standards are different from expectations because standards are stemming from your intention, from the core of your being. Surrendering doesn't mean sitting down and getting kicked in the guts and saying, I'm sorry. Surrendering means accepting all that is within this moment. An expectation is drawing from a often baseless foundation, something diluted that only serves to induce reward prediction errors. And a reward prediction error is the difference between what you expect and what you get. So if an experience exceeds your prior experiences, in terms of grandiosity, excitement, enjoyment, then that new experience becomes the baseline for your expectations for those future experiences. And unless those experiences keep getting grander and more enriching, then we are bound to have disappointment. So this is something that you can integrate into your life today, acting with intention without any kind of undue expectations attached to it. Have standards. I will output a certain standard of work. I will treat people in a certain way. They will treat me in a certain way. And if things do not turn out that way, then establish boundaries, practice healthy relationships, but don't get caught up in a 
hamster wheel of reward prediction error, which is modulated by dopamine. And you know what happens when dopamine doesn't get what it expects? If it gets more than what it expects, it's having a great time. And that's how it sets a new baseline. If it doesn't get what it expects, then dopamine drops below baseline, making you feel dejected. And when do dopamine drops below baseline, because dopamine inhibits prolactin, there is no dopamine to inhibit the prolactin, which then increases, leading to a feeling of melancholic letdown. So if you can remove expectations, then you're setting yourself up for the path of least resistance and the path of most enjoyment too, because then everything that occurs, you have the option to assign a healthy emotional value to it. Expecting no problems in itself creates problems. A desire for balance in itself creates imbalance. An expectation that things should be the way that they should be only serves to disappoint when things end up the way they do. So I think that this wraps up today's podcast, and I hope that you've been able to take something from it. I think it's quite clear that I'm not really sure what I'm talking about, but that's what the conversation's about. It's uh, it's strange having nobody here, no no feedback, no other ideas to to bounce off of. So I look forward to having some guests on soon, so that I can fill some of this radio silence with uh, with tangible value. But in the meantime, I'm really enjoying getting used to this this process. It's very uncomfortable. It took me an hour to start recording, an hour to press that button. Executive dysfunction activated. But the best way to cure that is through action. Go for a walk, take some deep breaths, make yourself a coffee, sit down, and just start recording.